live from our brand new studio in Regina, Saskatchewan. It's episode 167. The Ultimate Deck Podcast. Need a show about outdoor living? This is where it's at with your host, Shane Chapman and Way Laurent. Thank you for tuning in. Now let the show begin. Yeah, yeah. The Ultimate Deck Podcast. Let's go. Uh, with an intro like that, do you think that there's a chance I get headhunted from, like, hits radio stations? You think a radio a station's gonna hit, headhunt yeah. you? Yeah, like with that, with that kind <laughs> of This is Shane's Gumpson. live on Satellite Radio. Right? 106.7, the rock! Like, I, I think so. I think you could You do might it. be doing this podcast by yourself next week. It's the ultimate Bryce podcast right? without Shane. <laughs> Your name's still not even in the damn intro. <laughs> you're you're going to be the last guy left. You'll be doing it, and the intro's still going to say it was Shane and Wade. Yeah, exactly. But it's with Bryce. I'm going to be here, a deck expert all of a sudden. Choose whoever you want to be. Yeah, exactly. So for those who are tuned into the Instagram Live, they're like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> What's going on here? Whoa. But we've done some renos to the space. Yeah, it took a while Quietly. putting up that brick. Right. I think we decided that it actually, like, putting up real brick is faster than putting up brick peel-and-stick wallpaper. I think so. So, but it looks sweet. Like It, gives it us looks more, great. Gives this whole room a new vibe. I can't believe you told everybody it was fake brick. Yeah, that w- <laughs> <laughs> you just, it, like, let everybody in on the It could have played, a, it look at that in the camera, it could have played off as real. Yeah, we got a new loft space. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, how was your week, Bryce, before we get into the topic of the day? Uh, it was good. Yeah? What'd T- you get up to? Today's been seven days since my, um, is this appropriate to talk up, talk about on air? Well, you didn't get a boob job. I didn't so. get a boob job. Instead, I got a vasectomy. Good for you. It's, yeah. Tender. Party time. We'll, we'll say yeah. it's that. <laughs> it's tender right now. <laughs> so, this has been of interest to me because I, <laughs> like, I've just got... Kids everywhere. Yeah, you. I only have one. Right. And have managed to only have one for the last 10 years. Yeah, so you didn't even need this. No. You didn't even need I know how to. Why were you? I know how to use contraceptives, <laughs> so. So, okay, but I don't know how. Yeah, apparently. So I've, got, I've got three kids right now, and uh, th- this is, I guess, a bit of an announcement because it's not like we've announced this before, oh, yeah. but I've got one on the way. So there's a fourth one that's going to be showing up in springtime. And so... Oh, I didn't like have that turned up. May. Woo. Give her, bud. <laughs> in May, we'll have a fourth one kicking around. So Four Shane Chapmans. Yeah. Maybe I mean, thanks Shanita? With, oh, <laughs> I don't know. We're not going to find out. But oh, whoa. It'll be four kids. And so... And I know that this is like... I was already done after three. Like, I didn't... <laughs> yeah. I didn't need a fourth. My wife, need my wife wanted the fourth. And I was like... Listen, if we're gonna do this, it's gotta happen soon. I'm, I'm aging, <laughs> and so normal life you age, yeah, right. And so, uh, but now we're both agreed that like this is a final one. So then this decision for me is gonna be coming up soon too. But she it's she's not like much not of a decision. <laughs> you're right. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be much of a de- like. It's not a decision. It's like you're doing this. Just do it's it. It's not a decision. You're right. It's the decision's been made. Yes. It's just the booking of the appointment. It's scary, And then going to the thing. I, I have yeah, to tell you, scary. I did not. It took me a long time to book my uh, appointment. And the thing that did it for me was online booking. <laughs> that was what put <laughs> you over the edge, Didn't have to talk eh? to anybody. It took the fear away. Yeah. That's funny. Um, Quigley says he loves the setup. 
but he's wondering why we're missing a fireplace in the corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't give Let's us get ideas. A fire pit in the middle. Right? Fire table. <gasps> That's a great Pretend idea. Pretend like we're outside on a San Francisco loft patio. That's a great idea. Uh, so another thing today, we dressed almost identically today. Yeah. <laughs> when you walked in today, I was like, we're doing a podcast today, right? <laughs> uh, so this was not intentional. Um, but, like, the sweater I could see, because I know we both have this sweater, and it's like, whatever, we might both wear it sometimes. But we're both wearing black jeans as well. Black so jeans. That's kind of funny. And now we can't hide behind the table. When right. We now you've got to make sure your shoes are on point, even. And yeah, I, don't, right? I don't know that I did make sure my shoes are on point today, but I, I made a point of wearing white and black sneakers instead of the little gray slip-ons I usually wear around here. You're a sneaker guy, hey? I, yeah, I like, I like sneakers. sneakers. Yeah. 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 You got a favorite brand, or...? No, I'm not. I'm not a like. I'm not a sneaker snob by any means. I just a sneaker head. Like to I wear. I believe them. they call them. Yeah, that is right. That is right. But I, I like to wear sneakers even when I'm kind of like doing business casual or dressed like. Like I'll go to a wedding, and, and I'll sneakers. wear like a sport coat, and potentially a collared shirt, oh, and yeah. like a, a more casual dress pant and sneakers. Like, like loud sneakers, or are you always just no, no, no. toned down. No, like the last the last one I went to, which is actually just a couple weeks ago on New Year's Eve. I went to a wedding and I, I wore what I just said, a sport coat, a yeah, collar. Okay, yeah. Was it a collar shirt? No, a t-shirt, I think. Uh, and a, like a, like a, like a, I don't know what you want to call it, but like a, not a jean, but not a super formal. It's not like a. Like a khaki? It's not like a, yeah, kind of. It like wasn't a, like a pressed pant or anything. Right, okay. But I wore like chaps, like polo, like Ralph Lauren oh, uh, yeah, yeah. shoes. So they were like, they were sneakery, but they weren't, they weren't even like a sports brand. They were like, you know? Yeah. I think it was okay. That's good. It was a New Year's Eve wedding. What are you going to, like... Shoes for guys are so hard. You right. Either, it's either sneakers or it's... But I've dress just... shoes. Unsubscribed from dress shoes. I, I did unknowingly unsubscribed from dress shoes years ago. Right. I just... I just stopped buying them. I must have went to, like, one event where I was like, I should wear dress shoes. Oh, I should get new ones because these ones are whatever. And then was like... I'm going to do sneakers and then just stayed with that. I mean, the last time I bought dress shoes, they hurt my feet so much that I right. decided to not wear them. Anymore. That's what I mean. Why are we doing this to ourselves? I have no idea. Why and would you so wear? They're so expensive. Oh, man. Like the first time I started wearing sneakers, you know what the actual turning point was? I bought Gary V's shoes. Oh, yeah. The clouds and dirt shoes. Yeah, what, they're like a white, a like. Um, K-Swiss. Yeah, K-Swiss. K-Swiss. <laughs> I was like, it's a, it's a really, known, really well-known brand, but not a big brand. Uh and so I bought those shoes and I wore them, I think actually to a deck expo was the first time I wore them uh, or to a, like a public event and wore the sport coat thing and did that. And those shoes were so comfy yep. that I was just like, why do we ever force ourselves into stupid dress shoes that just kill our feet? And like, yeah, like sure they look okay, but like, come on. I, I so I stopped. Yeah. I once bought a pair of like, I'm for that for everything. And I used to have a pair of street cross golf shoes. Street cross golf shoes? Yeah, they looked like almost like a skater shoe, but they had rubber golf cleats on the bottom. Oh, yeah. And okay. you could wear them out on the street, but you could also wear them golfing. Yeah. Yeah, why not? They're awesome. I agree. I, I don't golf, though. Now, if I had to go to a, a, an actual event that was like, this is formal, you must wear a suit, I would put on the dress shoes. I'm not going to wear sneakers with a full-out suit. But you might rent them. Rent the shoes? Yeah. I would never rent a pair you of shoes. Never rent Bowling us. is the only time I'm renting shoes because rent they make you have to not rent them. You would rent a pair of shoes? They're already broken in. You can rent a pair of shoes? Yes. From where? Like suit places? Yeah, from suit places. 
Huh. We should get into renting shoes. <laughs> Not that you would doesn't be. doesn't sound like I'm the guy <laughs> to do that. Uh, no, I, I don't know. If, like, renting shoes, that seems weird to me. Why? Because you can... Like, they're like two, like, so you that's go... That's a dirty area of the body that you're putting in there. You, easy to clean, though. Is it? Really? You wear socks. <laughs> is it easy to clean? But, like, all I'm saying is you wear socks. The yeah, shoes but what are do your socks smell clean. like at the end of the, the day? The shoes are easy to clean. The, I don't think the shoes are easy to clean. No? How are they easy to clean? I feel I, I feel like they're difficult they're to clean. They're leather. The inside, though. Yes, the inside's leather. On a nice dress shoe, and all inside you have to, of your shoes and So what, are you just going to wipe it out with you a Lysol wipe? wipe it out with some Lysol wipes. <laughs> you could spray it down with bleach. It's not like it's going to kill you. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. This like, is weird, by the way. This, what? This, this setup? This. Do you feel more exposed? Weird. I feel like I don't know what to do with myself. Right. It's... We've gone from being like news anchors where like pants really were kind of optional yeah. before now. And, and they that's were. why you feel weird. You're wearing pants today I know, I'm wearing in pants. the podcast. People can see me. And I don't know what to do with my feet. Renting shoes seems gross, says uh, Scott, USMC. Well, see, I agree it. with him. I agree with him. So like we're going bowling on Sunday. It's my son's fifth birthday. It was yesterday actually, but his, his like birthday party with his friends is this Sunday and we're going bowling. And I think about this before I get there. I'm like, ugh, I gotta wear the shoes. Right. But you, you, you do wear them. I will wear them because I don't think they give you an option. No, they don't. Right. So I have to wear them. Right. I don't have to rent dress shoes to go to it. Right. But. I would rather buy dress shoes. You'd rather spend $200 to wear a pair of shoes that's going to be uncomfortable all night once. Yeah, and then I, I would probably make a point of trying to wear them. Like, at my age, my <laughs> feet are not getting any bigger. If I buy a nice pair of shoes right now, That's they're going to last me for the rest of my life. Yes. Unless I develop some, like, serious bunion action on my foot. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. So Unless your feet change. I feel like even if I only wear them, like, once a year, I'm still going to get a lot of use out of them eventually. Fair enough. But bowling, because they don't clean that shit, Bryce. They spray aerosol in them. Like, what is that even? I don't know. It's nothing. It's cockroach killer. It's it's <laughs> confidence is all it is. They spray. Co- they try to make you feel like they've just cleaned the shoe by going, like, yes. When you spray air freshener in the bathroom, your doo doo smell is not gone. You're just covering it up. That's, that's what's happening with that shoe. That's true. They're covering up the stank. But they kill the bacteria. If they kill the bacteria in the shoe, mm, bacteria hides in places that aerosol is <laughs> not going. I'm telling okay, you. Okay, so but bowling, you're like almost doing exercise. Your feet sweat more in those. <laughs> yes. I don't know if I call it exercise or not, but yes, you are moving around a right. little bit. Not, okay, step back. When I'm putting on dress shoes, though, it's probably nine times out of ten at a wedding, and I'm sweating and doing get way more exercise at the wedding. Right, because you're dancing. Right, dancing. Clarify it's with the day. dancing. It's not, yeah. It's not, no, Who does that in their shoes? Closet action. or something. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I would sweat more in those shoes. And as with the people that you're renting them from. So then on the other, on the flip side though, how much would you spend on a pair of shoes now, dress shoes, knowing that you're going to wear them for the rest of your life? $65. That's what I mean. <laughs> no, I, I, pro- I wouldn't spend 200. I wouldn't go there, but I would spend, I could see myself doing like hundred, 130. Oh really? Yeah. If I feel like I have to flip my hat backwards now. Yeah. I think I've got shadows going on in my own face and I can tell. I think it looks good though. That's just bothering me though. It's like, oh. it's not me. Oh, okay. Right. right? The, so the reason I wore that hat forwards was because it was fiber on. Fiber on. So I put it on this morning. I put it on the sweater and then I went to go grab a hat and I was like, oh, I should wear the fiber on hat. 
on we the pod get, today. We should get hats made. And I actually wanted to wear a different hat. I had the Fortress one at first because it had black mesh for wearing backwards. Yeah. And it looked better with my other black things. It's how much thought I put into my sloppy outfit today. You could get one. We have ultimate deck hats. The Fort- and then I was going to do that, but I was like, well, green and black, green and, or sorry, green and blue logo and the red shirt. That's clashes. It's a little clash. Like, it's okay, though. You're doing it right now, but it's okay. <laughs> I got a gray toque. And so I had the Fortress hat on, and I was like, oh, I should just go all Fibron today. So when I went to go get my coffee mug, the first one I pulled out was a Fibron mug. Oh. And I was like, well, now I have to put the Fibron hat on. Yeah. Mine's so like I've got not. A fi- this, the shirt's actually uh, a collaborative shirt, an Ultimate Deck Shop and Fibron shirt. And then a Fibron mug and a Fibron hat. I love these shirts. So I wore it forward so you could see it was Fibron, but now I'm done with that. Now you're done with that. Got to get hats made next time. Got it for me. Collaborative hats? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do it with all the brands. You could do one brand in the front, one brand in the back, and you could choose, like, yeah. want to party today, or are we going to keep this simple? <laughs> right? <laughs> then you just have to figure out which which side does your logo go on. That's what we should do next time. The party. Go, oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We're going to do some there, of that. What are, the, what are what, the mullet hats or mullet shirts we should do from now on? What too? is a mullet shirt? A mullet shirt? It's business in the front, party in the back. So it's nice and clean in the front, and then big stuff going on in the back. Okay. So, like, it, gonna, this it, could be a mullet sweatshirt if all of this stuff was just on the back. That's called a mullet sweatshirt? It's plain in the front and the plain in the front decor in the back? Party in the back. Interesting. Um, FBP Canuck says, like the setup, boys. Where are you filming from? Well, we're in a loft downtown Regina. No, no, it's Toronto. Shane's office. <laughs> Shane's office. Since you've been here, mm-hmm. uh, Jason, we've done some renos. And so this is in the same spot it always is. That's not true. We used to sit over there. Yeah, we were over there. Eight feet from where we sit now. We rotated and we eight did some feet. decor. That's not eight feet. I just, this, I don't think that's eight feet. It is eight feet. <laughs> This room, this room is 15 feet wide. If you lay down from where you were now, from the f- you would touch the chair. From the wall, how far? Tall. How far is the? How far is the wall behind me from my back? Three feet. Three feet. Yeah, right. That's what I was gonna say. Okay. And how far is that chair over there? Back of that chair to that wall. Four feet. Five feet. Okay. So no, what's, it's only three feet. What's three plus four? Seven. And what's 15 minus seven? Oh, you just answered your own question eight. mathematically, statistically oh, okay. speaking. So you were going back a chair to back a chair. I was going front a chair to front a chair. Oh, come on. But I'm saying we, <laughs> we sat further back than where that chair, chair is right now, too, though. Well, maybe not because no, those things we were, were behind closer. it. Anyway, we used to sit six to eight feet away <laughs> over there. We used to sit over there. Over <laughs> there. Yeah. Oh, man. What else we got here before we get going here? Uh, Western Lumber. Is this your concept of between two ferns? We oh, should yeah. get some ferns in I here. I want ferns in it. Yeah. That show is fantastic, by the way. Um, look how slouchy I look now. Though. I used to lean into the camera. Now I look nice and slouchy, so nobody can tell that I've got the beer belly going on. I feel like I, I like these chairs. The first time we sat in them, I was like, nah, I don't know if I like them. Well, where are we sitting in them, the more I like them. I don't mind Although them. Are you doing the cross thing? I can't do that. I have now. to do the cross thing. And I, I don't think it plays as, as bad in the cameras I thought it was going to. I so. can't do the cross thing. It's better than doing this. You don't want to sit like this nowadays. Uh, yeah, I might. That might be comfortable for me. I'm a little anyway. tender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Okay, so let's get on to it. The, we're, we're talking about today, we pulled up an article, actually, just to discuss. This is a what we call a discussion episode. 
we, uh, so we've never discussed <laughs> we've that, never, calling this anything it. before. But um, we found a top 10 list that was actually published on Fine Home Building's website. And to our chagrin, we actually found out that it was uh, published by our good friend, Glenn Matheson. Shout out to Glenn Matheson. And so to give props and some credit as to where we found this from, it was finehomebuilding.com. Is it .com? Yeah, dot .com. Yeah. And written by Glenn. Check out Glenn at buildingcodecollege.com. Oh, snap. Look at you. Yeah, well. Atta boy. I want him to write articles for us. So what this is, <laughs> so what this is, is, uh, do you want to put that out there? Yeah. If anybody wants to, uh, get a special guest spot on the ultimate deck blog, also to be talked about on this show, we are looking for guest article writers, uh, or even ghost writers. If you want to write one and have us put our name on it, that's fine too. That's my that. favorite. I like uh, I like just putting my name on things that other people do. Yeah, like that's if you my, really want to put funnest. words in our mouth, now is your chance to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so at Tuds.ca, our blog Tuds. there, we're, yeah, we're yeah. trying to we're trying to amp it up a little bit, um, create more of our own content on there, but also like opening yeah. it up a little bit to getting some other perspectives from other people. Yeah. So if you're a deck builder that wants to do some writing and get your name out there, feel free to. Send us a line. Feel we'll free to practice on us. Practice on us. Because <laughs> our quality standards are incredibly low. Very low. And practice to get your game up to the point of being published in Deck Specialist Magazine. Yeah, exactly. And we will We don't spell check. <laughs> we don't spell check. <laughs> we have a very loose approval process we have here. No, no publisher, <laughs> no editor. It's just click, click. So Glenn's article here talked about the top 10 deck building mistakes. And I was intrigued by this because I was like, you, a lot of guys see mistakes all the time. And uh, I thought it was a good opportunity for us to discuss what, at least from Glenn's perspective, and he would have a pretty decent perspective of what the top 10 things are that he hears about and how to address them, how to do them properly. You've read through the whole article? Easy. (laughs) (laughs) We had this discussion. We had this discussion the other day. When you printed off your blog article you want to post, and you're like, I have printed it off for you because I know that (laughs) if I... You will not read a digital copy. And I was like... Uh, you can end that sentence at read. I will not read. That's <laughs> so incredible to me because we spend all of our time on our computers. Oh, yeah. No, I read <laughs> I read words a lot, Brace. I just don't read books. Like, My I'm familiar with the English loosely, language. <laughs> you're familiar with the English language. Like, mostly. Yeah, mostly. And a, and a droplet of French just for Eric. Oh. Don't. Teru. Don't test me. Uh, so we'll get on through this thing here. We're going to read. He, so the way he formatted this article was he talked about the error, what the mistake is that people do, and then the and then the corrective solution to that. What they you're supposed to do. They don't read this article. That's the first mistake. Right. Exactly. And we thought well, we'll read the error and then we'll like we'll chat about it. And I was like, well, we should probably give the solution from yeah. the guy who knows the solution rather than us just whipping something up here. So we're going to read through these and we're going to discuss them a little bit. So uh, good with you, the audience. Great. Sounds good. Everybody in here. We should get a live studio audience. <gasps> a boy. Can you imagine <laughs> if we had a live studio audience? Oh, man. Oh, man. I feel like we'd have to do that pan thing. Yeah. Did you ever hear about... God, we're tangenting a lot today, but did you ever did you ever watch the live... Uh, sorry, the Fresh Prince um, reunion? No, I never did. Show? Watch it. It's super cool. And I just read Will Smith's book. I listened to Will listened Smith's book. Listened to Will Smith's See, book. See, I, I do uh, I tell people complete I read. a lot of books. <laughs> I just don't read them. Yeah, I tell people I read audible stuff all the time. Yeah, you read a book. So, but like, Will, apparently back when Fresh Prince was on, nice. filming nights, Friday nights, were just like, 
it was just a party. That was the place to be in LA was to be like at the Fresh Prince live yeah. taping because between scenes or in breaks, whatever they like Will Smith would be out there like rapping or whatever. They, oh. they, they had DJs. They were just like, the whole thing was a party so cool. during the filming. And I was like, man, you never, it's over. Like you hear about it and you're like, that's amazing. I'd love to be a part of that. And it's like, but it's over. I don't think any shows nowadays do that anymore. There's no fun shows anymore. Well, there's no like that sitcom style show anymore. Yeah. It's all like big Yellowstone, Game right. of Thrones. Super deep. Yeah. I'm watching Ted Lasso right now. It's good. But it's I'm not like live a live audience. audience. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. it's They're all like short movies now, right? Yeah. Anyway. Mistake number one, failing to install a continuous handrail on stairs. Now, I'll read, I'll read the, uh, I'll read the, what he's, like Glenn's words here. The error, for construction or aesthetic purposes, builders regularly interrupt handrails with newel posts. It's also common to see a guard's top rail used as a handrail. The solution, code provision, blah. Well, maybe I should give it in case there's some nerdy guys that want to look this up. R311.7.8.2 requires that a continuous handrail be installed on any set of stairs that has four or more steps. A continuous guard free of mid-span posts extending through the top can be used as a handrail, but only if it meets specific geometric requirements. To be considered a handrail, the guard's top rail must be graspable by those walking up and down the stairs. If a post interrupts the guard's top rail, a true handrail must be added to the guard running along the stairs. That was a lot of words. How do you feel about this? At, well, at first, I didn't understand it. I didn't you're not, under, a, you're I didn't not a deck get guy. The idea of <clears throat> yeah. you put a mid span post in, and I was like, oh, well, it's still a rail. But I, I feel like I understand now you have to be able to grasp the rail the entire way correct. down the stairs. Correct. I feel like this episode is going to get me in trouble with Glenn. Why? Because <laughs> I'm going to give too much opinion on this. Uh, you're going to be like, and it's going to start with this Screw one. Screw that, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. So That's how I feel about your handrails. <laughs> yeah. So this is pretty cool. Like this is in the, the IRC and therefore it's like, it's a common code. It, it, it's, it applies everywhere. Common code violation. Yeah. Though. However, here, our inspectors don't seem to care about this one. In our markets, in Regina, Saskatoon, they don't inspect for this. It's very, 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 very rare. Right. That they require a continuous handrail. They're, they're fine with those newel posts in the middle, breaking up the run. Well, and they're also fine with things that are rails that are actually guards. Right. Not graspable items. Not pass. Graspable like if you items. have a two by four on flat uh, or two by six, doesn't matter That's here. That's not a rail. They're worried more about the fall protection than they are about the grasping anything here. Yeah. But in many and probably most jurisdictions, they do follow this code yeah. uh, piece here. So you do need that uninterruptible, graspable handrail is that because like we have snow six months of the year so if you fall off any height you got like a bit of padding <laughs> when you hit the ground poof. <laughs> and then you get up and you're like that was fun we should yeah, do that again exactly <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't know but here's the thing about this too i feel like this is one of those codes and this is where glenn's gonna be like he's watch your tongue i feel like it's a little bit silly like i get that we have to worry about the elderly people who, you know, need to be holding something at all times or whatever. But like when you're going, if we're, we're talking about like regal rail, which is like dominant in all of Canada, you're going up, you're going up, you're going up. And then you have to let go to reach four inches ahead to the next spot. Like a, what if a, what if a gust of wind comes up? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like we said before in many things. And I think even uh, Glenn said with the codes, like you're trying to make these codes to be, applicable to 90% of situations, whatever it is. Yeah. I feel like this situation of somebody lets go of it for a split second to grab the next section and they get blown off the deck is probably fairly unlikely. 
I also feel like this is this is just my opinion, more of a commercial style code. Yes. This is less I'm probably wrong. You're correct. This is probably born out of liability. Yes. Right. Which is why I think liability ruins everything. So how many steps, again, does it have to be? Four, he says. Four. So anything over or under four? It has to, like, four and over, you have to have a handrail? Uh, If it, to read it again, requires a continuous handrail that be installed on any set of stairs that has four or more steps. Four or more. Okay. So... This is a good good reason to stop building big stairs. <laughs> tall stairs. Well, you don't have the option. Tall stairs. Well, I mean, your deck's That's your deck. That's what I mean, though. You could build you your deck lower. Build your deck lower. I like. Yeah. How do you? Yeah. Four or more is like so. It's such a small. Regardless, there's no like. I don't know why I have skin in this game. I don't know why I'm even arguing this. It's a fine yeah. code requirement. I just think it's like. In fact, it helps us out. Yeah. We would like to sell more railing. True. <laughs> Uh, some comments here on Instagram quickly decks. The handrail applies depending on the mood of the building inspector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And new England Pro deck pro says we need it here. If there, if there is intermediate post or drink rail going down the stairs. Yeah. You so that new, that post in the middle of the run, you have to have it continuous past that post, right. which could probably be in the form of like an, like an inline post that goes underneath that doesn't break up the graspable component of the handrail. And if it does, then you require the, Secondary handrail mounted to the side on the inside of the stairs. Grasp. So whatever, it's a fine code. It's a fine code. Whatever. I'm just saying it doesn't get called very much here, and I. So, there's my point. It it's not even required here. I've never ever heard of anybody here falling down the stairs as a result of not having graspable handrails, which nobody has here. I agree. <laughs> And I'm sure anybody that's ever fallen knows who they're supposed to let know. Me, if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm just not hearing about it. I agree. I, <laughs> anyway. It's not going to. It doesn't matter. Mistake, I mean, it does matter. Yeah. Mistake number two, uh, installing hardware incorrectly and using the wrong fasteners. Boy, we've talked about this one quite a bit. Well, this is a big one. Uh, the error. Incorrect fasteners in hangers are a notorious mistake. For example, deck screws are not a proper way to attach joist hangers, and using inch and a quarter long 10D nails where 3.5 inch 16D, nail, 16D nails are required is a sure sign that manufacturer instructions were not followed. Yes. Fasteners that don't have the correct corrosion resistance rating will fail quickly when installed in treated lumber. Also, using only... Uh, so, uh, last all using only only half of a two-part post-to-beam connector and installing undersized bolts and six-by-six post bases are common installation errors. The solution for hardware to work as the manufacturer claims it will, and the way the inspector expects to expects it to, follow the manufacturer's installation instructions. Proprietary hardware is not specified in the code, therefore it is considered an alternative. Alternatives are approved via testing or engineering, and that information must be provided to the local building official. The only way to ensure hardware will perform as expected is if it is installed as it was tested or designed. Beyond code compliance, valid product warranties depend on proper installation. Whoa. That was a mouthful, eh? I wasn't ready for that. No. Nope. Should have finished more coffee on that one. But this is one of the most common things. And this one, I believe, like, I argued the handrail thing a little bit. I was like, come on, do we really need to worry about the four-inch brake? This one's important. This one's <laughs> like, very important. This one, if you don't if you do not do the right thing here, it could be very devastating. Yeah. And, like, everything's on your deck. You're not using the right fasteners and your joist hangers. Your whole deck's going to fall apart, potentially. 
Yeah, and it's it, it, it's not, there's no, like, for all these things, you could probably make a pros and cons column. There's no pro to not using the right fastener. You're not saving money, you're not saving time, you're not saving anything. Like, because if you, well, I had a bag of screws in my garage I wanted to use. <laughs> yeah, but you, so you save $17 on your debt. Like, it's not, why that's not the reason. Why don't fast, or like the joist hangers come with the correct fasteners or the right amount of fasteners? Why don't they come bundled? Yeah. Well, I guess they could, Brace. Because, like, and then if the people aren't using the correct fasteners, it's really their fault because everything came together. Yeah. I mean, it's probably an unnecessary manufacturing step to package them together. Like, why? That's true. Because you're gonna, you're gonna, you go in there, you're going to need... You're going to need 800 of these little screws. Why bundle them together on each hanger eight at a time or 10 at a time and you just give them a box of 800? Get your shit together. I don't know. <laughs> it's not, not an awful idea. But maybe they should it label. terrible. Yeah. Maybe they, what they should do is label right on the hanger what screw you're yeah, supposed to be using, what, what fastener what you're supposed to be using. What screw is supposed to be in there if it's not that screw or fastener? Yeah, I'm sure they do in the box probably. Like, But anyways, for the DIY guy who's going to Home Depot and picking up the LUS28Z hanger, mm-hmm. maybe for his sake, they should put a sticker on there that says use with use SD9112. They'd sell more screws. Whatever, if they right? Did that. Advertising 101. Sure. But I mean, they're probably merchandise right beside them, too. Like, let's be honest, this is not the <laughs> manufacturer. <laughs> Hold on here. We're going down. This is not the manufacturer's fault. It's dumb consumers. It's people, well, I shouldn't say dumb. It's people who don't know better. Right. Often. Right. But it's also people that think they know better. There's some of that, too. That's unnecessary. Those guys, those are the dumb ones. But, like, some people might legitimately not know. I but frame, if you don't... I frame houses all day. Let's roll this back again, though. Fine. If you don't legitimately go, no, you shouldn't be building your own deck in the oh, first place. That's fair. So... Use the right equipment. Well, Okay, and mistake number three, bolting beams to the side of posts. This is fairly common, too. The error is... A tragedy brought us... From the aisles of big box stores, directions to the deck. Di- a tragedy brought us. A tragedy brought to us. Oh, you missed that if word. I, that was unimportant. <laughs> that little two in there was very important. Yeah, it really changed the entire context off. of that sentence. <laughs> a tragedy brought a, brought to us from the aisles of big box stores, directions to deck builders to bolt deck beams to the sides of support posts. The average backyard deck has relatively few posts. Fewer posts result in greater loads at the beam connections. It would take a huge load to shear a half-inch diameter bolt, but long before that occurred, wood around the bolt can be crushed, potentially resulting in a failed connection. The solution... Yep. This is a bit... This is going to be a big one. The solution for each each ply of a multi-span beam, whether single or multi-ply, must have full bearing on intermediate posts. This can be accomplished by notching a 6x6 to accept a two-ply beam and bolting the beam to it, or by the use of an approved post cap. With all the hardware available to handle various direct bearing applications of different size beams and posts, there is no excuse for disregarding this code requirement. Yep. And I think it's easier to use the post cap stuff. My understanding, yeah. (laughs) Well, no. No? Here's why bolting to the side of the beam is easier. When you're going to level it, you don't have to worry about cutting the post perfectly level and doing all your planning beforehand. You can just kind of like throw a level on your beam and like adjust it on the side of the post, put a spike in it, and then go bolt it after. Like that's easy. Okay. 
I mean, the hardware makes it easy too. It's no, that's not an excuse. But I think the reason this one still carries forward is because it used to be okay, is my understanding. It used to be okay to saddle a post with beams on both sides and bolt it in. Used to be. Then they learned that it doesn't work long term. Well, it just twists, doesn't it? And a that's lot. The idea? No, it's that. Well, they're worried that. So what he just said in there was. Because when people try to argue this, they're like, the bolt's never going to break. The issue isn't that the bolt's going to break. Right. The issue is that all that load on the wood, on the 2 by the mm. 2 by 10 let's say, all the load on that and two bolts sticking through it or three bolts sticking through it, it's the wood that's going to compress and fail around the bolt. Right. Okay. And cause it to shift and split crack. And if that, like, if that splits and cracks, then it falls off the bolt. Right. The bolt will probably stay bolted through the post forever. <laughs> right, exactly. But the weight might crack and deteriorate the lumber around the loosen. bolt. Yeah. It's loosen and eventually crack and split and whatever. Yeah. I think that's the reason. But I believe, and like, I hate talking like to be as, like as a code expert because I'm not. And, and, <laughs> and, and Glenn will correct you every time because he is. Mm-hmm. Like thoroughly, not just today's codes, but tomorrow's codes and yesterday's codes. Well, he knows he's making them all. tomorrow's codes, right? So I believe this used to be standard practice that, and it was okay. It was code compliant to bolt to the side of the post, but there obviously were failures, and they change it, and now it must bear on top. But these guys who are older that used to do it that way, and they're comfortable with that way, and they still want to do it that way. And they're like, "This was fine before; it's never failed on me before." Yeah, that's where the pushback comes from. That's why it's still being done that way, and and from people who just don't know any better. So, how do you feel about that, Brace? Uh, I feel like, to me, when I saw the picture of the two beams sandwiched with a post in between, it didn't make sense to me. Okay. It makes sense to put it on top. Right. The argument, too, is that when you put it on top, it it's it, there's like a hinge point there, right? It wobbles. That's what guys sometimes want to be like, that's... but. Then you're bearing directly on top of the post. Right. All that All weight's, weight's going down weight. to the post, not down on the lumber surrounding a bolt. Um, oh, boy. I was going to read this next one, but I'm not sure that I should. Oh. <laughs> uh, but precision construction says, Psht, wood is a four-letter word. He doesn't use wood anyway. He doesn't use wood Bolt, anyway. steel, whatever you want. That's right. Mistake number... Bryce. Uh, I threw away that sheet prematurely. Yeah, do that? Mistake number four, overspanning composite decking. Composite nope. decking. What? Composite. Yep. Oh, I thought you were holding it. I thought you wanted no, to No, no, overspanning. Oh, I see what you're doing there. I'm giving visuals for the people watching us. Haney Construction says, Scott is right. Steel doesn't care. Steel doesn't Steel care. Steel doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> the air. The maximum span of wood and plastic composite decking generally depends on the type of plastic used in the product. It's important to follow the span limits of specific product outlined as outlined in the manufacturer's installation instructions, which some builders fail to review. Overspanning composite decking is most commonly a problem when deck boards are run diagonally over joists or when they're used as stair treads. Bum, bum, bum. Stair treads, we see that one a lot. The solution, floor joists for a deck are typically installed at 60 inches on center, which won't properly support some composite decking products when installed at an angle. In new construction, be sure floor joists are installed at the correct spacing. In existing decks, add more floor joists. Adding more floor joists is the only remedy. Similarly, additional stair stringers might have to be added to stairs where composite decking serves as the the treads. Stair treads must be able to resist a concentrated load of 300 pounds over an area of four square inches. 
This requirement puts a lot of pressure on the actual tread material to support concentrated loads. Some composite products are limited to an 8-inch maximum span when used as stair treads, which requires the support of six stringers on a 36-inch wide stairway. Whoa. That's a good one. So we've got lots of examples of that. Yeah. Certainly when people want to turn di uh, decking diagonally from a homeowner's point of view, to them it's an aesthetic change. That's what right. they just think it's just Hearing like... bone pattern. We're going to turn the deck board. better. Yeah, they don't understand that like that then causes that board to then span whatever it is, 19 something or 20, I don't even know what it is. Pythagoras. Right. So because it's 16 inches on center when you're, you're, you're laying it um, perpendicular to the joist yeah. is max... That's the maximum you can do. You can't make this any longer. Yeah. So when you turn it, you've made it long. Even if it goes to 17 inches, too you're long. too long. Too long. <laughs> so you need to uh, go into 12 inches on center minimum with most decking when you install it uh, at a diagonal at 45 degrees. Well, and that and that increases the amount of lumber, definitely, right? Adds a few joists, yeah. It's not a ton more, but it nope. adds a few joists. Okay. There you go. Uh, but stairs is where we commonly see this too, because I don't know what the beca <laughs> because is, but people just think like, I'm doing my deck 16 inches on center, therefore I do my stair stringer 16 inches on center. Okay, yeah. But what they don't understand is what Glenn's talking about here is the concentrated loads. When you when you flop your weight down... You drop four inches every... Like, when you're going downstairs, you're really... Yeah, your weight's multiplied when you jump on things. Yeah. Like, when you drop onto a stair, more so than just walking... Right? Yep. So you need to tighten that up because the stairs are experiencing a heavier load than you just walking around on your deck. Yeah. When Lo you're dropping on them. I don't know how you go downstairs, Loose but for me, weight. it's just like, <laughs> I want to go downstairs as heavy as I can. Boom, 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 boom. Exactly. As much weight as I can put down. I want people to know that I'm coming. Yeah. You, I, I run down them and then I run back up. Oh, and I then I run back down. Take my time coming up. OT. <laughs> that's, that's not true. I do stairs like two, three at a time usually. I'm in such a hurry. Can really bang up the old shin bone sometimes. And that's why you need to have enough uh, load bearing capacity on that stair because you're you're coming down, what, two or three feet at a time. Coming down a stair two, three feet at a time? Like you're jumping stairs. So oh, like I don't skip height. stairs on the way down. Oh, you don't skip? No, you hit every On the way down? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a death wish. That's dangerous, Bryce. <laughs> you got those long legs. Yeah, I do. Did I got you ever, some. Did you ever used to do that when you were a kid? Like, try and jump down as many stairs as you? Oh could? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you try and jump a whole flight, and it never works. That out. don't work. <laughs> you don't do that shit. No. Uh, Mick Condex says, "Well, don't you guys look comfy?" I yes, I hope so. I feel comfier. I do feel comfortable. TC Dex, whoever folded those shirts and put them on display needs a raise. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, isn't that awesome? That's Rebecca. Rebecca was one of our admin slash salespeople last year. She's been helping us out a bit in this winter. She used to she work used at to, Puma. Right. <laughs> she was working at Puma in Calgary, and she has worked in, like, retail clothing stores before, and they have their way of folding things. And the first time she did this, which was last year, she folded the shirts in our old backdrop, too. Mm -hmm. And she folded the, all the shirts to stack up so that they still made the picture on the front. I thought it was absolute sorcery. How... Yeah. How did you do that? Do you think you could do that? Do I think? No. I mean, yes. How with long enough would training. it take you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Figuring it out. Like, it, it looks exhausting to me. Yeah. I would not enjoy it, but it's cool that she can do it. The logo on, on, like, what she's done there by building that up with six shirts shows the logo better than your shirt right now, which is tucked 
under your tits. Hey, I didn't <laughs> get can't. a boob job. I you got can't. a vasectomy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she did that and it's, uh, it, it is on point. I agree. Um, Haney construction says Santa and Mr. Santa's helper hosting today's podcast. Yeah. Well, you wear red shirts. You, you get the flack. You're having another kid. Your beard goes even grayer. This is true. It's getting pretty <laughs> great. I need to, I need to show her back. I noticed that swear. I was like, Oh, podcast day. And I've let this run out a little bit here. Now mistake number five, building stairs with incorrect riser heights. The error. Often the bottom step of a deck, the, often the bottom step on a set of deck stairs is roughly oh, okay. one inch taller than the rest. Code allows a maximum variation of only three-eighths of an inch between riser heights. This guideline often confuses inexperienced carpenters who insist that they cut every notch in the stringer the same. The solution, every notch cut into the stringer has an identical riser height except for the bottom one. The steps notched out of the stringer in the middle of the flight have treads placed above and below each step, effectively adding the same tread thickness to each riser height so that they remain consistent. The bottom step doesn't have a tread below it, though, so you must subtract the thickness of the tread from the height of the bottom riser, which is the bottom of the stringer. Oh. Makes sense? I get it. Yeah. It's these guys thinking that the, where they put the tread is the, the measurement that they're worried about, right? Like the cut, the bottom of the cut, the bottom of the tread is the right distance at the bottom stair, right? You're, I don't know. You're confusing me now, too. Hey, yeah, well. It's just when, Sorry. like, if they're trying to cut their own stair stringers, they're like, okay, seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half. They're all the same. Let's go. Let, right. But, but you, then you add an inch on top of every tread. Like, when you put your deck on, you add an inch. Yeah. And then when you put the decking on the store below, the one below, you technically subtract an inch from that last rise too right so you add and subtract stays at seven and a half add and subtract stays at seven and a half add and subtract stays at seven and a half bottom one add don't subtract goes to eight and a half mm. that's why you got to cut that extra inch off the bottom right Unless you got to subtract it there because you're not t- you're not fancy landscaping or something right sure you might be yeah so so there's where you don't have to if you're not like if you're landing if you're cutting stringers and you're going from like a top tier of a deck to a bottom tier of a deck and you're landing the stair stringers on the framing and you're going to be decking up to it again, Yeah. then you don't do then that. Then you're fine. And yeah. Okay. I got it. That's simple. Cut your stair stringers right. Here's the more, like that one's somewhat common, but I think more commonly where I see incorrect stair riser heights is when people use prefab stringers, steel stringers, aluminum stringers, or pre-manufactured wood stringers mm. because those are all cut typically at seven and a half already. Um, but your deck height might not require a seven and a half inch rise. Right. Your deck height might be, it's supposed to be seven or six and three quarter. And you go and use this predetermined seven and a half inch height. And then that means either your top step is going to be way out or your bottom step is going to be way out. Cause you've just got to like, you want them to still be level. Right. And so you just kind of, so all of a sudden it's like seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, four. At the top. Right. Or like seven that. and a half down, seven and a half down, seven and a half down, nine at the bottom. Right. Big drop off. Because you were more than, yeah, your rise should have been seven and three quarters, but this was made for seven and a half. Or to That's, level them out, they, yeah, they stick a bunch of shit underneath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, look, we found some scrap lumber to That's throw underneath. That's my dad always did. Uh, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> see that quite a bit. So it's, uh, that's, that's where I see it quite a bit. Uh, what do we got here? Mick on deck. Mink on decks, he likes to jump five steps at a time. 
Oh, there you go. So that See. means your weight is five times. Five times. Is it that how that works? Yep. It gets multiplied with every step you go. That's the math. Ask Glenn. I got to lose some weight then. Yep. <laughs> you jump three steps, you're a 600-pound man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Better than the way I tried to get 600 pounds last night by eating like 30 pieces of sushi. Yeah. How was that? It's delicious. It's delicious. It was delicious. You wasabi guy? Like no, wasabi? I'm not a wasabi guy. Mm. I Like, I don't mind a little tiny bit, but no. I like so I, much that, like, it clears your sinuses. You Like, you enjoy it? I love it. You I enjoy love it. that feeling. Like, you have that with every bite? Yeah. Every sushi, you put a little bit of wasabi yeah. on there. Yeah. Well, that's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, I know. You're not supposed to mix it in to the soy sauce. Oh, I would have. Ne- I would never do that. So <clears> soy sauce. I've seen people do that, wasabi. though. Yeah. So... This is how you know Pronto's not a real sushi place. They didn't. Even, there was no wasabi with it. What? Yeah, there wasn't any, which worked out really well because we have little kids, and if it, if the wasabi even touches a piece and they eat it, they're like, oh, it's hot. Yeah. So it works out for us there. But um, do you know most wasabi in North America? This is a little fact for everybody: is uh, not wasabi at all. It's just horseradish that's been dyed green. Yeah, I believe I believe that. I don't like horseradish. You don't like, like horseradish? A, no. <sighs> what do you put horseradish on? Well, I used to put it on roast beef. Ugh. Gravy. You put it on gravy? No, no, no. I put gravy <laughs> on the roast beef. Roast beef. I put both on. I would do, I ketchup, do, I would do ketchup on roast beef before I would do horseradish. <laughs> yeah. Shut you, up. You bet I would. That's terrible. Horseradish. What is wrong with you? Oh, yeah. Ketchup because, on your roast beef? Yeah, why not? I'm just saying it's not my first choice, but it's it's above horseradish. No. Horseradish doesn't taste good, Bryce. Yes, it does. No. What is it? <laughs> it's a radish. Do you like radishes? I don't mind them. Uh. <laughs> it doesn't mean I want to eat them on everything. A horseradish is disgusting. It's, yeah. It's it ruins pro- the taste of what you put it on. thing. It intensifies the flavor. No, it does not. Yes, it does. No. That's fine. We have our disagreements, you, generally. You think, and this is one of them. You think that... <laughs> you think that you think that it's like some sort of shock and awe treatment that if you like shock your senses alive by putting some shit taste in your okay. mouth that you when then you taste put, the beef better? When you put horseradish in your mouth, what happens? Your nose gets all like intensified and it's hot and you're like. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. And it like opens everything up. Scott says, uh, USMC says horseradish is an abomination. Shut See? I'm not, I'm not alone on this. You weirdo. Horseradish is so good. Horseradish and mayo. Awesome on sandwiches. Would you stop it? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to have to find a new job. Hold, <laughs> hold the hell on here. You're a vegetarian. Yeah. You're not eating beef. At, this is bullshit. You've made this entire argument up. You don't even know. I have been. I have not been a vegetarian <laughs> my whole life. I still eat horseradish. Not on, on beef you sandwiches. don't. Not on beef you don't. No. Because you only eat wild meat that right. and nobody's shooting wild cows. So the last time I ate horseradish, moose. <laughs> so suck it. <laughs> You're right. Oh, man. <laughs> horseradish is a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. I guess technically it is. It's an awful one, but it is. Mistake number six. <laughs> putting horseradish on your roast beef, apparently. Mistake number one is putting horseradish on anything. Mistake number six. Uh, there's a thing there you might want to read and see if it... It's from Haney. I never know whether we should read his or not. Uh, it says your so, weight 
I'm just going to read it. Oh, no. Your weight only varies according to mass and gravity. If y'all need a... Y'all. He wrote out y'all. If y'all need a lesson on impulse or physics in general, give me a shout. It's one of the primary courses I taught back in the day. That was like the cleanest, (laughs) most gratuitous post he's ever made on there. And horseradish is not an abomination. It absolutely is. No. uh, Yeah. You put ketchup on your roast beef. I like gravy on my roast beef first and foremost is what I said. But I said I would take ketchup 10 times out of 10 times before I took horseradish on my roast beef. Instagram community right now, Ugh. ketchup, if gravy's not an option, there's only two options. You got a, you got roast beef and you got horseradish and ketchup sitting there. And you have to use one. Put, Which one are you using? Would you put mustard on your we'll roast beef? I would do mustard before I would do horseradish. Would you do mustard before ketchup? Uh, oh, no, no I, w- no, I wouldn't. Okay, well, there you go. No, I wouldn't. There you go. Get lost. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> I had a cousin who used to put, this is, this is a tangent. I had a cousin who used to put ketchup in his chicken noodle soup. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And neither would you put ketchup on your roast beef. Yeah, yeah, no, I would. <laughs> I would. I would. Mistake six, ignoring clearances and, and inhibiting access. The error is... Although well-constructed, some decks are still code violations simply in how they interact with the house. For example, some stairs on multi-level decks end up near windows that the builder has not replaced with tempered glass units. Other decks are built too close to the house's main electrical service panel or the service conductors overhead, which need to be at least 10 feet above the deck or 3 feet to the side of a deck, according to code. The solution... No matter what features exist on the exterior of a home, windows, air conditioning, compressors, low-hanging soffits, exterior lights, outdoor receptacles, outlets, dryer vents, identify the required clearances before starting a deck design. While some features will influence the shape and location of the deck, other features may require that only appropriate access be integrated into the design of the deck. Oh my god, I feel like I'm just... Sorry, I wasn't listening at all. Good. Uh, Midcon deck says horseradish. No. Uh, USMC says cheese or gravy only. Quigley says cheese. Yeah, yeah. Like I, what? Like cheese sauce? He's from Texas. On your roast beef, they do biscuits and gravy, That's and they call though. it gravy, but it's just flour and milk. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. They carry guns. Don't piss those ones off too much. Um, Quigley Dex says you need to catch up. Oh, hey, you guys are going off topic. You need to catch up. He didn't really time, he chime was, in on that. Was he making a pun there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, either gravy or nothing, says Sue Corky. Persistent Construction says he'd take a kick in the family jewels over horseradish. I feel like I might have thrown away a sheet a little bit too early here. Oh, no. So I've got number seven here. I'm going to get you to go grab number. Okay. <laughs> I think I lost a shoe over there. Number seven, mistake. So what was the score there, by the way? Horseradish. Was winning? Was winning. It's bullshit. Uh, mistake number seven, attaching decks, attaching deck ledgers poorly. The error, the majority of deck plans end with a straight continuous line at the ledger, rather than details as to what the ledger is connecting to. Unfortunately, the way a ledger attaches to a house is one of the most critical elements in deck construction, and many builders get it wrong. For example, they bolt ledgers straight to the brick, stucco, or EIFS cladding. These practices violate the code. One of the more egregious uh, ledger mistakes is connecting the ledger to a rim joist nailed to the end grain of cantilevered floor joists, those that support a kitchen bumpo, for example. 
The solution, detailing a ledger properly depends on the building type, the cladding material, and the site conditions. Of all of the parts of the deck, the deck, the ledger can rarely be treated the same from job to job. Long before construction begins, considerations must be made as to, for example, whether stucco needs to be cut back with new weep screed installed or whether a few courses of lap siding need to be removed to bolt and flash the new ledger properly. Code requires that band joists supporting deck ledgers be bearing fully on the primary structure capable of supporting all required loads. In other words, they can't be part of a cantilevered floor. A better option in that scenario is to build a freestanding deck that doesn't rely on the cantilever to support it. This is a big one. Like, yeah, so what's, what's, the, what's that mean? All of that? <laughs> well, one of those, the, we see this one quite a bit, the whole bump out thing. People attaching a ledger to a cantilevered bump out on the house. Oh, right, yeah. So, like, when the foundation wall is straight, but then you've got this little jog that usually pops out about two feet, and it's usually, like, a bay window in a kitchen or something or whatever. Right. It pops out and then goes back in, but that's those joists are already cantilevered two feet past the foundation wall that they're supposed to bear on. Oh, okay. I and you're you. not supposed to attach to that. That's not strong enough because it's not bearing directly upon the foundation. You've already got a cantilever on that. Now you're hanging a bunch of extra weight on the end of it again. Right. You're not supposed to do that. You got to put a beam underneath that. Float the deck or put a beam underneath there. Mm. Um, and then the other things it was talking about was just the connection types, depending on what the floor system is inside the house. What are you attaching to? That can change. And then what is the what's the envelope of the house? What kind of siding are we dealing with here? Right. Um, so I like how you put that there. That's the one thing from job to job that probably changes just what every time. Mm-hmm. Every deck you're going to frame, you're probably going to frame at six inch on center and you're going to put in some ladder blocking and you're going to do all this stuff. And it's the same from one to the next, but how you attach that first board to the house. Well, that's different from one to the next often. So, so is it just, if like, is there any benefit to attaching your deck to the house? Like it's like, it saves you piles. Oh, okay. Okay. It it saves, it's, it saves piles and it gives some lateral strength to the deck. Like, with with so much movement here in Saskatchewan, though, wouldn't it be more beneficial to build freestanding decks? Yeah. Versus what, like, versus like attaching it to your house. <clears throat> like, if I you're know not going to do them on step, if you're not going to do them on piles, like it was very common here. Where we just and we talk about this on the next one, number eight. Oh, okay. But if you're just doing grade blocks all the time, which is very very common here on decks under six feet. Yeah, you're probably better off not attaching to the house. Yeah. Because the deck's going to move as the ground moves, and the ground moves a lot here. Yeah, I was going to say, like, every concrete step from here to in Regina is split. Yeah. Because the whole house moves, or the ground moves, right? Yeah, the ground, like, from from summer to winter, the ground can heave three inches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And and not even that, from dry summer to wet summer in Regina, anyway, not in Saskatoon and other areas of Saskatchewan, the the soil's more more stable, but with the clay we have here, it's so, it absorbs so much moisture, it's so expansive that it gets wet and, like, there was a, there was a, well, we often have dry summers, but I remember one summer where it was so dry, the ground was shrinking so much, it was pulling cable lines, like power lines, out of people's power meters, starting (laughs) fires, happened in my house. Uh, It's pretty crazy. What do you got? Mark Westrom said... This is like listening to tax code. Thrilling. Holy, (laughs) settle down. Lighten us up here. But he does like horseradish. (laughs) What a goon. So. What a goon. Mistake number eight, setting piers in disturbed soil. 
The error, when it comes to digging footings for deck piers, some builders are lazy. To avoid deck ledger Whoa. failures, freestanding decks are becoming popular. There's your point right there. There you go. But the piers nearest the foundation may be set upon backfill. In areas where the frost depth is not an issue the pre and precast foundation blocks are used, they're often set up on top of exposed grade. Mm -hmm. A code violation. So that's, yeah, that problem, that three-foot uh, perimeter of your house where your foundation was dug out, poured, and then backfilled, that ground around there is very unstable. Right. And not just a couple inches, like six feet, eight feet deep. A lot, yeah. A lot of deepness is disturbed, and it'll settle forever, like for a lot of time before it's stable again. So... You're just so that's the problem with freestanding decks then. Well, that could be the if you're For not going to put part. the piles in the ground, yeah, yeah. So here, like we use screw piles here more often than not, ten foot deep, right? So that's going deeper than the than the disturbed soil on a on an excavation for a basement, mm -hmm. which is usually like five feet, six feet uh, depth. So the piles will go through all that disturbed soil, hit undisturbed soils, and still be good there. Yeah, but if you do it with the like. He talked about the blocks on grade. He said his exact wording was something to, if you're in an area that doesn't have frost. <laughs> where these blocks are acceptable. Frost Here's line. the thing. We've got plenty of frost, and these are still acceptable here. Yeah. According to our building departments, as long as your deck's under. Depends where you are. In Regina, under six feet. In Moose Jaw, 45 minutes down the road, under two feet. Mm -hmm. So that's where codes so can change. the old people there. What's that? It's all the old people that live in Moose Jaw. They don't want their decks to fail. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to make a joke <laughs> and it didn't work. I don't know. Um, so that's the error. The solution is foundation systems are required to extend a minimum of 12 inches into undisturbed soil. In cold climates where the ground freezes in winter, a pier foundation for non-freestanding decks must extend to a depth below that which is likely to freeze. In some places, deeper than 48 inches. This present present prevents the soil below the pier from freezing and heaving the pier upward. Piers must bear on undisturbed soil as well as set below the frost line. This could mean for a three-foot deep footing in some areas. However, if the piers are in a backfill region, as is the case with piers next to the house, on a freestanding deck, the footing depth may have to be as deep as 10 feet to reach undisturbed soil and to comply with code. Precast foundation blocks must be set in at least 12 inches into the ground. However, even in the middle of a lot, the topsoil is tilled roughly six inches prior to seeding, so it's likely that the footing needs to be at least 18 inches deep to comply with code. Assume that all deck piers and foundation blocks require some digging. Oh, wow. So it's like none of those blocks are ever put on correctly generally. Not here. Because nobody's digging 18 inches down either. No. They might dig out the grass. Yeah. They might okay. dig three, four inches deep. Yep. But if code is 12 inches below disturbed soil, they're not doing that. I had to dig those suckers in one time for a deck that was being, like, was using them a long time ago, probably like, I don't know, eight or nine or years ago or so. And just for height of the, like, for, for, the, for the elevation of the deck, I had to get a beam underneath it mid-span because oh. my joists were going too far. But to get a beam underneath, I had to really dig those suckers down to the ground. Yeah. And I had to dig them probably, I think it was 20 inch or something like that down to the ground. What a nightmare. In this clay. Two feet. I was doing clay. it with a shovel. Like, yeah. And a lot of people would be like, two feet, get a Listen, two feet in this clay crap here is horrible. a struggle. It's horrible. Two feet, you go 30 miles, not even 30, you go 10 miles east of Regina to White City area, and you've got to go two feet in sand. No problem. Yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. Our stuff here 
<laughs> wet, dry, it doesn't gross. matter. It sucks. Like you, you, it sucks to shovel into, and then it sucks to get it off the shovel. It just yeah. stick. It's like Play-Doh. It's mm-hmm. like really thick, dense Play-Doh. Anyway, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to read eight starts on one page. You, this is really, yeah, I got eight. Uh, this is mistake number nine that we're on now. Oh, incorrectly, yeah, incorrectly attaching guard posts. And then, of course, the printer cut this one line right down the middle, so forgive me if I can't read exactly how this uh. what says. But connecting a guard post to a deck incorrectly is among the most dangerous deck-building errors. Fastening guard, that's the line. I got it all. Wow. Uh, fastening guard posts to deck rim joists or floor joists with wood screws is not acceptable. While some builders get the guard post to rim connection right, they don't always make sure that the rim joist is attached, is attached to the deck framing properly. The solution... The code, table R301.5, requires the top of a guard be to be capable of resisting a concentrated load of 200 pounds in any direction. Depending on the design of the guard assembly, a stout guard post-to-deck connection can be accomplished with blocking th- and through bolts or with horizontally oriented hold-down hardware. In some rail designs, most of the load resistance is handled by the post connection to the deck. In those instances, the post should be attached to the joist, not the rim, because the rim is usually not fastened to the joist in a manner capable of transferring the load. Rims are typically nailed to the ends of the joist, the weakest possible connection for withdrawal resistance. There's another paragraph, but I'm going to leave it there. So I've not thought, like, yeah, that's it's a good point. They are usually just nailed onto the end. And so maybe you do bolt your post, your wood post, to the rim joist correctly, like with nice strong oh, yeah, bolts yeah. and whatever else, and you think it's all good, but the leverage of that post up here, you start pushing that, all of a sudden the rim itself pulls away from the ends of the joist. And then you're... Because your nails are going into the end grain, which isn't holding very well in the first place. Mm -hmm. So not only will that railing post might move, the whole rim of the deck might fall off, which means all the railing goes with it. Mm -hmm. So we don't run into this very often here because for one, 90% of decks or more that are built here end up with aluminum surface mount rails. So you're never really attaching to the rim too often anyway. Right. So are those, ra- those aren't guards though, right? Yeah, well, they could be. Like a guard, what are you asking? Well, they're, they're not properly fastened guards then. Yeah, they can be. Oh, yes. They? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have, so this is a scenario here where you refer to the, the engineered manufacturer's instructions. Right. Those railing systems are engineered to withstand that 200-pound load requirement in any direction, but you do have to follow and make sure that you're blocking it correctly. That's where people fail with those systems. Because how many times we have have really... This place sounds awful. When you describe... (laughs) 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 When you describe it as I was about to do again, I was like, why would you... Saskatchewan. I was like, we get super strong winds here, and people listening are like, oh, yeah, so seven-foot frost, super cold winters, super windy all the time, and your clay and your soil sucks. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, sign me up. No tsunamis. Right. Here's the, no here's the benefit. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's killing you here. Yeah. Uh, well, except for the cold. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> for those of you need to make sure you're, you're blocked in properly, we get these high winds here, and you have people come in, they're like, my railing blew over. Mm-hmm. Usually like glass railing because it catches the wind or a privacy wall or something, and it's like there's zero chance that was attached properly. Oh, no, yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. I don't even have to look. Right. Well, I was all bolted down to the deck. Yeah, to what, though? Let me guess. Did the board that it was attached to, like the deck board, did it lift too? Yep, whole thing came up. Right. There you so go. So you were bolted into the deck board, not into appropriate blocking and substructure framing. Mm-hmm. And that's how that was supposed to be done. So that's that's a common 
DIY error. I hope it's not a common construction or carpenter error. Hopefully the tech pillars out there, but you never know. know. There's all types. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty common way to screw that up yeah. on a surface mount rail. When people do do wood rails here, I think I believe it is more common for them to block it into the framing inside of the rim rather than right. uh, on the outside of the rim. Although I you see it like outside the rim is not unheard of, um, but and it is very common in other places because a lot of people sell it as like you can save that square footage on your deck if you're not going to mount your post on the inside of the, of the deck. Right. Like if you mount that railing post on the inside completely, and it, let's say it's a four by four post, takes up. That's real five inches in from the edge of the framing that you're consuming. Yeah. If you put that on the outside of the rim, you save that five inches all the way around your deck. So, so it sounds funny to say like, oh, you can save some square footage. But legitimately on the whole deck, you might be saving like 20 square feet. Quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. It kind of is a, can be a bit of a bonus. And you can fall off your deck. Right. <laughs> like, like completely. Completely. Like, <laughs> like not even like that failed a little bit. It's like, boom, knock the whole railing the whole thing off. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, fairly common to have those things. And even when they do block them inside of the posts, they're new, like often not blocked in completely or appropriately either. Like, I think railing... Could like, use some work. Yeah, <laughs> I think railing insulation is a major issue as well. So, we, you know, we started off with number one where is I... Is that just, nine? Like, I thought you said you no, were at nine. Two. Did I? No, I didn't. I don't want to, like... <clears throat> we're at an hour and four minutes on this lovely... <laughs> discussion. You're right. You're right. There's number 10. Yeah, I thought we were getting out of here. Mistake number 10, making beam splices in the wrong places. The error, when a long built-up beam spans multiple posts, many builders run one two-by long, so it extends beyond the supporting post. They apparently believe this practice is good because splices of opposing beam piles are separated rather than being only inches apart on the top of a post. Unfortunately, in these cases, an engineer's evaluation or a rebuild of the beam is required. The solution, beams are under two stresses, bending and shear. Shear forces act perpendicular to the length of the beam and are the greatest near the bearing ends. Bending changes the beam's shape, a force called deflection, and is greatest in the center of the beam span. The code lists maximum allowable limits for deflection. In deck beams, the deflection limit is typically reached long before shear limits are at consideration. Any reduction in bending resistance also increases deflection potential, which could lead to a code code non-compliance. Beam splices that miss the bearing point by a small amount don't greatly affect bending or deflection, and the shear strength of only a few ply, of one fewer ply is likely still sufficient. In these cases, the cost of an engineer's review might just get you the okay to build, but don't put splices in the center of a span. Build the beam so that splices land on top of supporting posts. I got to be honest, even I checked out in the middle of reading that one. I was just saying. Yeah, you were just saying things. See you next week. (laughs) Yeah. What did did that mean? Um, If you remember. Well, like, do you, so let's say you have a, uh, what's a, what's an example? Let's say you have a 24 foot wide deck. Okay. And so your, your local lumberyard doesn't have 24 foot wide lumber. So you go and you buy, what you should do. And let's say you have three posts, one on each end, one in the middle. What you should do, according to this, is buy 12-foot lumber and splice it over the post in the middle. Oh, okay, yeah. Like some, so your splices are in the, in like, bearing on top. What some people might maybe do is buy 18-foot lumber, maybe, and splice at 18 and then 6, and then come back the other way and go 18 and then 6 down here, and then their splices are in the middle between two posts. And okay. so that's yeah. a no-no. Right, because there's no weight, like the weight's bearing down on that splice, not on the 
with no support. Right. So you're in the middle. The one ply is in the middle of its deflection, its strongest deflection in the middle of it. Right. And then the other ply is spliced in between where the shear is greater. So you've got that bend happening and gotcha. then the shear is like losing don't, to the deflection. Don't do that. Just don't do it. Just don't do it, son. Just don't, or get steel. <laughs> or, yeah, the steel guys are listening to me like, yep, no problem, yeah, these no are, problem, Whose no problems problem. are these? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot to read a few of them. So that's 10, um, 10 of the most common deck building mistakes from the guy in the industry who would know Who sees them. a lot of mistakes. <laughs> a lot. So thanks, Glenn, for putting your thoughts together and publishing them in fine hold and building and allowing us to, uh, not that we asked. <laughs> we did <laughs> But uh, we, we saw the article and thought we'd discuss it, so. Uh, well, I'm going to go back here a bit. So How far back, back to you like, go? yeah, back to, um, Moose Jaw is a place by the way. Yeah. Back to the beef conversation here. You're going to go back to the beef conversation. Sue Cork, Sue Corkery said, you're both wrong, either gravy or nothing. And that is my answer. Like gravy I said, gravy's the gravy. Like why would you even make roast beef and not make gravy? That's true. When I used to eat roast beef years ago, <laughs> I liked Yorkshire pudding with my roast beef. And so gravy is essential. I don't know if I've ever even had it. You never had a Yorkshire pudding? No. Oh, my God. Precision Construction says, I'd take a kick in the family jewels over horseradish. I read that one. <laughs> um, ketchup is allowed for a child, but horseradish is, only, horseradish is only approved for tear gas. USMC. Nobody roast beef likes and cheese all day. Mark Westrom says, Saskatoon horseradish. God. Quigley says, with good quality grass-raised beef, who the F needs horseradish or ketchup? I'll accept his answer, too, before I accept horseradish. Moose Jaw is a real place. Moose Jaw is a real place. USMC. Very real place. It is, uh, in miles, would be about 40 miles west of Regina. Yeah. Which is also a real place. <laughs> And a little city of about 35, 38,000 people. It's not too it's far from the, Elbow. Not too far from, not too far <laughs> from the Elbow, the Moose's Elbow. Uh, it's got the world's largest moose statue again, once again. Yeah. It's uh, home to the Canadian Forces uh, Air Base Moose Jaw, CFB you, Moose Jaw. Yeah, that's right. Home of the Snowbirds. That's right. So if you've ever been, because they do a lot of U.S. shows too, if you've ever been at a, a air show and down in the, the States snowbirds. and you see a Canadian contingent to that, the Snowbirds, that's from... Moose jaw. Moose jaw. The more you know. Um, what? Sounds like something from Super Troopers, he says. I don't disagree with that. Quigley says, railing installation, that's a whole podcast on its own. Mm. Hey, that is a whole podcast on its own. Yep. Precision Construction says, he missed, he missed guys that end up hanging post bases off the concrete or have it right to the edge of the concrete footing. And inspectors pass all the time. He missed guys that end up hanging post bases off the concrete or having it right to the edge of the concrete footing and inspectors pass it all the time. I think he's talking about mounting like a, a post bracket or post base on the side of the foundation wall and dropping your post down to that. I think is what he's talking about there. Mm. I've never understood. I don't know that. I know there's actually like products out there that are out there. One's called, um, oh shoot. What's it called? Behem Behemoth? Something like a word that means big, big, heavy. There's have posts that bolt to the side of a foundation wall that allow you to drop your posts into it. I've never, like, obviously they must be engineered if they're selling them, but I never, I've seen that done. 
You've seen not it commonly, done. but I've seen it done. Right. And I'm not sure. Hang if that's your ledger correctly. A good, a good thing or not, not a good thing. Anyway, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and seeing Bryce's and my feet and knees and, well, at least Bryce's crotch. I've had my uh, legs crossed the entire time for this reason. I can't. Uh, Bryce. (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) Bryce can't, so I hope you enjoyed his uh, view as well. Uh, Take it easy. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Hey, thank you for listening to the Ultimate Deck Podcast. Now you know what we're about. Uh-huh. Check the site, come and shop. UltimateDeckShop.com. Hit us right away for sponsorships. So tell us if you want to collaborate. Let's go. Check us out on any social networks. Thank you for listening. Nobody fell off a dog and died.